and welcome to another episode of Untraditionally Traditional, a podcast with me, Brittany Duncan, a millennial homemaker. Join me each week as I share all the things I've learned that make keeping your home, garden, and life running smoothly all while working. If you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcasting app so you get the episodes downloaded straight to you every Monday. Now, on to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Untraditionally Traditional, a Millennial Homemaker. I missed y'all. Thank you for your patience as I took a week off from the podcast last week. It was kind of a whirlwind uh, filled with mainly good things. I turned 30. I co-hosted a baby shower for my sweet friend, Valerie, who owns Vista Farms with her husband, Alex. If you've been around here long, you've probably heard me talk about their beef or lavender or just how cool I think she is. Um, I had a few classes that I took through the Boise Learns Community Education Program, which is a really cool project that we have here in Boise where people volunteer to teach classes and then when you register to take the class, they're pretty inexpensive, usually like 10 or $15 for the session. Um, that course registration fee is given back to the school system. So that's a, a cool thing that I love to do. They have a course catalog come out quarterly. So I am taking a few of those classes. Uh, and then in addition to all of those wonderful things happening, I have a really exciting update. Um, Y'all may have picked up a few weeks ago or maybe even months ago, I forget when I was talking about this, that I was working on a second side business because why not, right? Who who needs sleep? Uh, But I'm super excited to announce that that business has come to fruition and I am now partnered with Casabella Home Decor located here in Boise as one of their vendors. Uh, They have an amazing shop and it's filled with a handful of vendors who bring together curated collections of vintage and antique items, as well as items made by local artists and just all sorts of fun pieces in there. So I am one of their vendors. Um, If you're in the Boise area, I would love for you to check out their shop and um, help to support us. And yeah, just check out my booth. I'll have some reels and things going up on Instagram once I am completely set up there um, to kind of give y'all a little sneak peek. But that is what I have been up to. So last week I had to take a little break uh, between birthday celebrations and the shower and getting this business going and taking classes. I was just a little little overwhelmed. So um, anyway, update completed. Let's jump into today's topic at hand, which is seed starting. Last year was my first year starting seeds indoors to get my seedlings established before planting season. And I'm hooked. I've jumped in with both feet. Johnson, who is my number one advocate and supporter of all my crazy passions and hobbies and tangents I get into, has set me up for seed starting success. Uh, As I just turned 30, he kept asking what I wanted for my birthday. And, you know, my answer was I have everything I needed more, which is totally true. Um, And that I just wanted to really hone in my passions and so Johnson got me everything I need to start my full garden from seed which is my goal this year 
And so that's what we're going to do. And let me preface that this episode is going to be an introduction into seed starting indoors. It's a big topic. I can't say enough about taking classes from your local garden centers, education programs, or master gardeners in your area. And yes, master gardener is a real title and not just one you give yourself. Uh, There is an actual certification process for that. Um, I recently took a class with my friend, uh, an idol and garden guru, Katie Batazzo, who's the creator of Front Yard Fresh about seed starting. She's amazing. Um, I love her classes. And no matter how well versed you are on a topic, I swear that every time I take a class, I walk away with a new nugget of valuable information. So that's something I, I love to do and is worth the time and money and investment for me that education. Um, So I'm just going to share a little bit about what I've learned over the years through classes and reading and researching and trial and error with you. Um, I'll first start off with some information about timing because that is really the catalyst of, of all of this working well. I'm in zone 7A for gardening and knowing your zone as well as your last frost date are crucial to gardening success. Uh, I'll drop a link in the show notes to the USDA plant hardiness zone map. And on that uh, color coded map, there's also an area where you can drop your zip code to determine your zone. Um, you know, here in Boise, like there's, uh, you know, some of us are in 7A, some of us are in 7B. Um just depending where you fall. So sometimes putting the the zip code in is helpful. Although keep in mind, if you're up on a bluff that has harsh wind exposure or in a low valley where cold air falls and gets trapped, you probably run colder than the overall temperature of the zone. So that's something to keep in mind too. So you don't freeze your beautiful plants when the time comes for them to be outdoors. Um, And that might just be something that's a little bit of trial and error. But I'll say with your seedlings, when you're, you know, putting them out uh, to harden them off, that's basically getting them used to the outdoor temperatures and elements a little bit at a time. Um, Just making sure that it's warm enough to to do so and, you know, kind of following the temperatures you're actually experiencing as opposed to what your zone map says. But the zone map can be super helpful. Uh, Once you figure out your zone, you'll want to determine what the last frost date for your zone is. Uh, For me here in 7A, after May 10th, we are typically free and clear. That's the the safe safe date. A lot of people plant on Mother's Day weekend. Um, That tends to be where we're, you know, able to plant those uh, seedlings that do not like frost. A lot of your um, coal crops can go in ahead of that. That's your kales and broccolis and brassicas. Um, But in terms of other uh, seedlings that don't like frost after May 10th for us is the the date. Um, So when you figure out your last frost date, then you're going to do some math. I know, crazy, right? Turns out our elementary school teachers were right that these skills would come in handy for our hobbies. Um, When you look at your seed packets, on the back, there'll be some information about planting, and it will give directions for direct sow, which means uh, that it will be uh, planted directly into the garden. That's what direct sow means. Um, and then there's also, if the seed is a candidate to be started indoors, it will say indoor planting and include a time frame of when to start that seed indoors. 
and then depending on your seed company on their website, they may have a chart that shows you all of the common seeds and their start dates, transplant dates, and direct sow dates. Personally, I love Snake River Seed Company. I love that they're local to Idaho and they're packed right here in Boise. And I think this is an often overlooked part of gardening. You can set yourself up for success by using a seed that is regional. Let's look at a tomato, for example. A tomato that was grown within your state, Idaho, for us, high desert, big temperature swings, dry, dry, dry in the summer, is not the same as a tomato seed from the southeast that experiences low temperature swings and high, high, high humidity. So, you know, getting those seeds that are going to be most similar to your area is important. Say you just order whatever seeds from online and they are from the southeast. Will it germinate and give you a tomato plant? Probably. But I'm willing to bet that it won't be as strong of a plant or as prolific as a seed that was from your own area and adapted to the elements. So for me, this is an easy way to support local and regional farmers and growers, uh, but it also sets me up for success. So it's a a win-win-win. When you obtain your seeds, do this early. Seeds sell out and you want to make sure that you get the varieties you want. Um, You'll also be starting seeds pretty soon, uh, depending where you're at. For us in the 7A zone, we can begin some of our seeds uh, on February 15th, which is around the corner. And that's three months before our last frost date. So plant early because you'll be planting early. Once you've got your seeds, you can begin to organize them and categorize based on first, whether they are direct sour or indoor start, and then based on the start dates for those processes. I have tried to do this in a book. I I do love the the action of like actually writing in a book. And I have this uh, notebook that I take to every class I take and write all my notes. And it's where I do my garden vision board and all these fun things. But I have tried to like organize my seed starting in that book and I have found that a spreadsheet is the way to go. Um, It just, it is. It's really helpful for the process because you can use formulas to sort your dates and then you can organize the sheet by date uh, so that everything is in order of when it needs to be done. So those features in an Excel spreadsheet are super helpful Um, I'll have a blog post up about this process and how I do it uh, on my website this week. And the website, for those of you that don't know, is untraditionallytraditional.com. And yeah, I'll talk more about how I set up the sheet, the columns I use, the rows, um, all that fun stuff. But once you're organized, uh, you can look at equipment, you know, look at how much you're going to be growing. And... I'll go through what I've got for our setup this year, but know that seed starting indoors does not need to be this involved. I have started seeds successfully indoors in a tray with a clear dome using sunlight as my light. It's possible, but your germination rate will probably be lower. Uh, Germination simply means that the seed sprouted and was viable. Having an artificial light is huge for germination and the growth of strong plants. Um, In this class I was just taking with Katie, she was saying that like 14 to 16 hours of light is, you know, what plants need 
um, for, for their strength and growth. And during the winter here in Boise, we're just not getting that. So um, especially when you look at like the windows in your house and whether they're south facing or north facing and, and all that stuff, um, you're not going to have those 12 to 14 hours of direct light. So this is my 2024 seed starting setup. And I'll have a link in the show notes to uh, an Amazon list that I've put together where you can see the exact things I ordered in case that's helpful. Um, but first up with some shelving. I've got a five shelf wire rack and I went with wire for uh, a few reasons. One is that it's got good airflow, which is important. Um, and then it's also set up well to be able to hang lights from and have the ability to raise and lower them, which is also important. On the subject of lights, you'll want to measure your shelf to make sure it will fit your trays uh, and then get lights that will illuminate the whole tray as well. And you may need two lights per shelf, um, depending how big your or deep your shelves are, that kind of thing. Uh, you'll want full spectrum light, which is most similar to daylight. Um, it'll say it on the, the box. And then again, you're going to want those on for 14 to 16 hours of light, but not more. Like people, your plants need a break too and some rest. So, uh, you know, Katie was saying like, use a timer. And that was exactly my, my plan because I know myself and I will forget to turn on and off the timer I'm also you know 80 years old in my soul and like I like to be in bed early so I will not be like staying up late to turn my plants on and off it's just not gonna happen so the timer will be crucial for us um next stop this one's definitely optional but sets you up for success are warming mats and these are mats that are specifically developed for seed germination in other words, don't use a heating pad uh, because, well, you may start a fire and two, you'll cook your seeds to death. So don't do that. Uh, the warmth of the mat combined with the moisture of the soil with the seed starting mat um, creates the perfect environment for your seed to sprout. And so you can use these mats to get them to sprout and then uh, remove the mats. I got trays, and this is where there are probably a million different directions to go. Last year, I used the Burpee seed starting system, which I highly recommend for a beginner gardener. It was great. Um, it's divided into cells. They're probably one inch by one inch cells. They're not super big. Um, and it comes with soil pellets that you simply put the pellets in the cells, pour warm water on it, let it sit, and then they expand and all of your cells are filled up with the starter soil. Um, and then you can just put your seed in there. And that was really helpful. It has a dome that fits it. That was a great kit. Um, but this year I went with some heavier duty trays because I'll be soil blocking. And I'll talk about that more in a second. Um, Whatever tray you use, try to go for quality. Get the thicker plastic, even though it's more expensive. Um, when you need to turn your trays, like say um, to get more light or you know move them around or take them in and out inside and outside when you're going through that hardening off process, having a tray that isn't flimsy and prone to cracking is going to save you a lot of frustration and ultimately money that you're not you know every year having to replace these trays. So. 
you'll be able to reuse the trays if you get quality ones. Um, make sure you sterilize them between seasons. And to do that, you use one part bleach to nine parts water um, and, you know, rinse them in there, let them dry. And this is important so that um, any soil diseases or funguses or any of that stuff doesn't affect next season's planting. So I went with 10 heavy-duty trays without holes. They're um, literally just trays and got clear domes for each of them. And the domes are important because that's going to keep the environment humid and warm until you reach about 50 to 60% germination in your tray. And then you can remove that dome. Um, Katie was saying too that you can use, uh, you know, saran wrap if you're trying to save money, but also damp newspaper. And this was something that I hadn't thought about which makes perfect sense when I think about it is that light's not required for germination you know you think about it your seeds under the soil it's not seeing light um only for growth so you can have that tray covered for a short period with damp newspaper until those seeds pop and begin to sprout and then you would remove that Okay, so soil blocking. Uh, I'm completely new to this, but I'm really excited to give it a try. Um, a soil blocker, the device that I purchased, I'm going to liken it to like a quad ice cream scoop that packs soil into cubes. And the idea here is that you're going to save time and money by not needing to work with individual cells um, or needing to like move them to bigger containers as they grow. Um I can fill my big empty trays with all of my little soil cubes and then they're good to go. They'll stay nice and moist, root bounding, um, which is where the roots grow and like don't have anywhere to grow go. So they just like circle the, the cell and get really tight. And that's um, like a root bound plant is not ideal. Um, they need space. So that's less of an issue. Um, and then I also like that I'm using less plastic. I mean, obviously the, the, tray is like a big plastic rectangle but it's not like each of my little seedlings is completely enclosed in plastic so if plastic is a concern with you which is totally reasonable um you know this might be a better alternative or uh, there are also like biodegradable types of trays and pots that you can use i've seen people plant in egg cartons i've seen um yeah, people save like milk jugs or, or whatever that, you know, if it's a plastic concern and you're just trying to save, uh, save containers, again, make sure you sterilize them. Um, but otherwise, you, you could also try this soil locking. Uh, and last and not least, I got my soil components. So you want to use a seed starting soil. Garden soil or topsoil is not the same. Like the seed starting soil that is advertised to start seeds uh, is specifically formulated to balance moisture content and create the perfect environment for that germination to occur and the seedling to grow nice and strong. You can create your own seedling starting mix, uh, which is what we're going to do with compost, cocoa core, which um, is kind of cool. It comes in like a big cube and then you uh, add water to it and it similar to those little burpee pellets it like expands and then uh, perlite and you can also add in some natural fertilizer in there something like worm casings uh, whatever fertilizer you use though you want to make sure it's slow releasing uh, otherwise you can like burn and kill your seedling babies this is a you know a thing 
no matter what stage of gardening you're in, whether you're doing it for your seedlings or when you transplant your plants or when you're giving them like a monthly top up of fertilizer, more is not necessarily better. Um, You can burn your plants with fertilizer. So, um, you know, just just making sure of that. Uh, Same like people always think like chicken um, droppings are great compost and they are, but they you have to like let them turn into compost. You I you cannot just take the chicken droppings and throw them in your garden. Um they are like too what it's not acidic, but like something I don't know if it's like the ammonia or what, but like you have to let them like sit for I believe it's like three months before it's usable to put in your garden. So knowing those kind of things, doing your research to make sure that you don't undo all your hard work is important. Uh, so once you've got your system set up, you've built your shelves, you've got your trays, your soil, whatever method you're going to do, um, you'll go to your trusty spreadsheet and then get started with the seeds that need to be started the longest period of time before your last frost date. And then you'll work down from there, follow your calendar, take note of the planting depth too. Um, some seeds need to be planted deeper than others. So um when you're getting those seeds to germinate you'll want to miss the top of the soil as opposed to bottom watering or like pouring like a strong spout of water on them Um, you want to be gentle with it and then same with when they do germinate you've got your little seedlings at that point bottom watering is preferred because you're keeping the leaves and the topsoil drier um and it, it's just gentler on the plants too. They, their roots go down. They can drink as they need water. Um, you kind of let the plant do, do its own thing. So more to come soon. I'll have another episode in a couple weeks talking about hardening off your um, seedlings, which is basically like getting them ready to be Uh, outside um, because you can't take your seedlings from having this like nice stable environment inside your house to being outside where there's wind and sun and the temperature does change Um, and then we'll also talk about coal crops and yeah getting everything transplanted the best way to do that so that is all for today Um, selfishly I am going to ask that if y'all are enjoying the podcast that you give me the gift of a belated birthday present by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts they not only bring me a ton of joy to read and and let me know that there are you know people out there listening that I'm not just talking to myself and a mic here Um, but they also really help the show to grow and become more discoverable which is important so Until next week, happy seed ordering and planning, and I will see y'all back here soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Untraditionally Traditional. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with those special people who would love it too, and write a review. For more tips and photos of my home and garden, follow Untraditionally Traditional Pod on Instagram. Until next week, let's continue to make our homes places of joy and service to ourselves and those we share them with. 